Fit and Theater of the Words presents The Reprehensibles, The Fight for Earth's Future. Episode 7, Maria Almonte in the Pseudo-Elite. The armory for T-25 was at the end of S-11, adjacent to a small square, leading to the looming greeny barrier. A multi-room complex, the armory, from the outside looked like any other module, but in reality there were 20 separate modules. Straco and his lieutenants entered the overview room, filled with computer screens that gave the exact map images of T-25. Further maps were available upon request to the Quadrant computers. Colonel Gibbs, a tall man with trimmed white sideburns, turned from the maps as the men entered the room. Computer, seal the room. Gentlemen, please be seated. Gibbs and another man, a major badger, stood at the end of a long table. The men were seated and the major began to speak. We've just gotten off the screen to Earth City. Earth City, exclaimed Straco. Earth City, Captain, said Gibbs. We've talked to the people at the Intelligence Gathering Unit Central. As you know, food supplies have been diminished here on Earth. I am now prepared to say that sabotage may be a key ingredient of the disruption of both food production plants and the fusion plants. Further, no one has been able to stop or even view the saboteurs. They enter the plants unseen, do their dirty work before anyone inside can stop them, and they leave before the authorities arrive. From the information we've received from, from a special IQU agent within the past 48 hours, we now expect another attack, right here in T-25. Then you must know who's involved in these attacks, said Maxwell. We do, but we can't relay that information to you until we have received confirmation, said Gibbs as he turned to Badger. Major, this will be your assignment, gentlemen. Simply intelligence gathering. We want you inside that plant. You will be equipped with scanners and your input retrievers will be given to the computers when you return to the armory. You will be dressed as production workers with the proper input cards should you be stopped. But we want you to be as anonymous as possible. I don't care what you see happen in that plant or who you see get killed. You are there for intelligence gathering only and that is all. Why not station a few MM units inside, suggested Straco. I'd like nothing better than that, Mike, but as you know, the hedge banks own the production plants. And everything else, said Bear as they all laughed. The hedge banks, began Badger, still smiling, will allow no quadrant interference with their activity, and we dare not tell them about our information before we confirm it. And, said Gibbs, and if the saboteurs are confronted, we'd be fighting them openly. In that scenario, we can confirm the identity of the saboteurs and avoid bloodshed until we evaluate the situation. Could that mean more greenies? asked Maxwell. Several of them were found outside T-19 fusion plant after its malfunction. Jeff, malfunction may be a mild word. The plant won't reopen for a year now. As far as the saboteurs go, we'll brief you fully when you return from the plant, said Badger. Computer! Scan of production plant T-35 raw, ordered Gibbs. Over here, man, he called as the scan filled the far screen. Badger pointed to a device at the scan, producing a red dot on the screen for perspective. Now here we see the three vital areas of the plant and those subject to attack, he spoke using the readout. The raw materials warehouse and the processing tanks, the output conduits and the power lines to the plant. Captain Strasso, you will take up a position in the warehouse. 
Maxwell in the conduit processing area, and Abair in the power lines area. Keep in mind that past attacks have been made with the use of locators, hitting the warehouse lines, processing tanks, and power lines. That, as I am sad to say, usually means a six-month disruption of food. Materials are becoming increasingly hard to come by. Every lunar company, including the Lunar Aggregate Company on the moon, has their orders filled to the brim. We must stress, said Gibbs, that you get yourselves in positions to scan everything that happens. It's very, very risky, and your lives will be in jeopardy. Communications will be shielded among you three only. Entry will be through standard disruption of their security scans. In short, the only way they should know that you're in the plant is if they see you. When do we report, Colonel? asked Straco. You will assume your normal duties tomorrow, allowing two hours for dinner and rest. At 8.30 tomorrow night, you will report back to the armory. Then we will bring you inside via the power and conduit lines to the plant. Then, gentlemen, you are on your own. Maria's transitway pulled over a hill on the artificial environment covering the habitat. Literally thousands of lights twinkled from the overwhelming structures as far as the eye could see. It was all such a powerful and majestic force to an outsider like Maria. As the transitway coasted to a stop, the computer sounded. Rose Garden, Rose Garden. Rose Garden was the particular section of the habitat where Wilson's family made their home. Maria had been there a few times, but as she stepped from the transitway, the wonder of the habitat still brewed within her. She was torn between the seductive nature of the upper life. The transitway terminal was very different from the ones used in the modules. It was three times as large with an overhead bubble, cushioned waiting seats, and a luminous white floor. Along the base of the Zambium Dome, were elaborately dressed security men, not militiamen, in glittering white rosecoats and green satin pants. Good evening, miss, said the man as he inserted her card. Even the computers had a seemingly more refined and articulate voice than the ones in the module. This woman is a visitor. Her address is 1163 A98 T25. Her name is Maria Almonte, and she's been invited to share the privileges of the habitat for 72 hours. Thank you, said the man as he turned to Maria with the card. Miss Almonte, your privileges have been inputted into your card, and do have a good time. Do you need assistance to arrive to your destination? No, thank you. I've been here before, she said, trying to act if she knew the inside ways. Very well, he said. Do have a pleasant time. Maria smiled and walked ahead to the opening. It was an arch opening to S11, but there were important exceptions. Above and rounding the arch was the word Rose Garden in heightened green letters. Below the Zambian panels opened as she approached and entered a large room of chairs and tables. She sat down on the chair in the softest and most relaxing chair she could ever remember. The room began to move downward as screen scans of the inside of the habitat were lowered in front of the doors. It was truly captivating for Maria as she stood and felt the rough texture of the screen as the image looked real. An outer square housed a central and quite unique spiral escalator. Instead of stairs, there were levels of block-like white chairs, two per level, facing each other on a central floor. Since the ride between the habitat floors could take minutes, the dwellers had time to relax and talk during the ride to the squares. 
Long boulevards stretched from the sides of the squares. These roads were divided by a central median of plants and flowers. The facades of the houses were closely linked together along the sides under a high blue ceiling. Depending on the zoning of the habitat, there were shops, stores, plush restaurants, and amusement areas, a striking contrast to Maria's sterile world. The room that she was in slowed to a stop, and the screen moved upward past the doors, revealing the exact image she had been viewing on the way to the habitat. She stood, feeling as if she were a habitat dweller, and she thought to herself that that feeling should go to all people on Earth. Walking with the most upright posture, she crossed onto the brick floor of the escalator square. She waited for an empty chair as the escalator was traveling, just slow enough to step on with little difficulty. People seemed to be everywhere, and although convivial to each other, they still possessed a strange reserve, a lacking of intimacy. Wilson's home was on the ninth level up, the ten-minute ride to that level. Maria disembarked into a square similar to the ones below. Quickly she headed for the Central Boulevard, passing several shops and stores. People were holding merchandise in their hands, debating whether they should relinquish their benefits. On the outside in her area, the closest people ever got to merchandise was on the outside scans, where they would order it through the computers, but the habitat was alive with activity. Soon, she was in the residential portion of Rose Garden and turned onto Red Cedar Boulevard, Oakleaf Boulevard was to her right, and now she could see in the distance the next section of the habitat, Waterside. She checked her appearance in a tiny pocket mirror as she walked onto 901 Oakleaf, the home of Terence Wilson's family. It was a white Zambian clapboard dwelling with large paneled windows with black shutters. Taking a deep breath, she pushed her input card into the computer slot next to the door. The computer scanned both her and the card, notifying Wilson she was standing outside the door. Oh, Maria, what a pleasure to see you, my dear, said Wilson's mother, Ann Wilson, her image in a miniature screen next to the slot. She was a trim woman, reddish-brown hair, and she did not look much older than Wilson himself. Do, do come in, she said as the door opened. Maria entered the house, immediately picking up a Supron odor. She passed through a darkened hallway to the stairs that led to the upper levels. Annie Wilson was standing in the light at the top of the stairs with a fresh vase of flowers. Hello, Mrs. Wilson, said Maria, nervously running her hand through her dark hair. You're looking well, Maria, my dear. Thank you. Oh, fresh flowers. They smell divine, said Maria as she inhaled. I'm getting rather tired of it. We have a contract, or I should say my husband has a delivery contract with the people at the flower shop to send daily flowers, but never mind that. Come inside. Is Mr. Wilson home? Asked Maria as a young man not much older than Terence Wilson arose from the sofa, but Maria began marveling at the lavishly decorated room, the complex red wallpaper and the living plants and the holographic pictures of mountain reserves. Who knows where my husband is? Maria, this is Nathan Latrobe, a close friend, she paused, a friend of mine. Hello, Martina. That's Maria, she corrected him as he kissed her hand. Of course, this, uh, he said, motioning his arm around the room, isn't too much for you, is it? I mean, you, you being stuck in one of those modules. Shut up, Nathan, snapped Ian Wilson. Maria, Terence is upstairs, still on the screens to the moon. You know, Luna aggregate business. Then Inspector Manfred Glass is harassing him unrelentlessly, 
said Annie Wilson, as one of her daughters came into the room. Habitat dwellers had no restrictions on the size of their families and could conceive their own children. The young girl, not yet 17, was dressed in a one-piece, skin-tight metallic suit. Her stringy blonde hair gave her lethargic eyes and added strangeness. I shall be back, mother, she said. Aren't you even going to say hello to Maria? said Anna Wilson as Latrobe snickered. Maria, she said as she bit into a blue-colored apple and disappeared down the stairs. Let's go upstairs to Terrence. He must be done talking by now. They climbed the carpeted stairs along the inside wall to the second floor of the Habitat house. Between those damn kids and that inspector glass, I'm going to lose my mind. I can't take these things. I'm sure it'll be all right, Maria assured her as she thought about what Stracco had said about the outside. But she kept thinking about Stracco as they reached the upper floor to Terence's room. Terence was sitting with his head in his hands as on the screen, the bushy-browed Inspector Manfred Glass questioned him from the moon. The signals were simultaneous. You have admitted to being in that room, the relaxation lounge with Andrea Constantine, some 15 meters from the spot of the murder with 10 minutes unaccounted for. What were you doing with the daughter of the man who was so totally against you seeing her? Just private talk. Why there? Well, it seemed convenient, answered Wilson nervously. Your stories better match. Look, I'm sick of your bullying tactics. You listen to me, you finagler. I can get a warrant to have you back here in 12 hours, escorted by my militia man. What do you want from me? asked the exasperated Wilson. I told you everything I did on the morning of the murder. Yes, you told me everything you did from the time you left the sector station. I want all the facts. That's all, Mr. Wilson. Damn you, Glass. Leave me alone. I haven't killed anyone cried Wilson, clenching both fists as Maria stuck her head around the door opening. Wilson abruptly turned to his left, hoping Glass would not say anything more about Andrea. Visitors, Mr. Wilson? inquired Glass with a chuckle in his voice. Yes? Well, I have more questions. Join us next week for another exciting episode of The Reprehensibles, The Fight for Earth's Future by Robert P. Fitton. Presented by... Fitting Theater of the Words.